Hey guys, hope you're surviving the quarantine. We are back with another podcast today and this one is adding on to our previous one which is about movies. Today we are talking about TV shows. So it's myself and John back again. Hello John. What's going on everybody? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello. So um, yeah, like we said, every single pod, the, the situation is changing constantly and by the minute so with COVID-19 um, there has been new restrictions put in place for Australia so in fact for South Australia as well um, from yesterday 12pm essentially all public areas where there's gatherings of people have been shut down um, and also with cafes and restaurants they're restricted to takeaway only so yeah definitely a strange time and as, as our politicians have been saying we are basically fighting a war against an enemy that has no flag or no face um, so I'm hoping that everyone stays safe uh, at home and we're looking out for each other because there's no time that calls for support in the community more than something like this. Um, also from today, 4pm, so today is the 24th of March, um, it's 4.48pm currently, so at 4pm um, our South Australian borders were closed along with a couple other state borders. So yeah, wherever you are, I hope you're staying well and um, entertaining yourselves and that's fine today we've got um, a very exciting one for you we're talking about tv shows also a huge shout out again to chris um, for sound mixing for his speed of editing he's a legend he literally gets these out within a couple hours and we really couldn't do this pod without him so thank you so much chris and once thank again thank you chris <laughs> today's pod is recorded remotely so I'm voice calling John and we're recording separately on our own devices um, so hopefully this works out once again all right, so, crossed. Yeah, I guess we'll just get stuck straight into it. So the, our first category today, so like with the movies pod, we've got a couple categories. And our first one for TV shows is uh, the best series to binge. <laughs> so John's first with this one. What have you got? Okay, I think Elaine's seen this as well. I might have actually given her my Stan account. I think I gave you my Stan <laughs> account to watch it, actually, Elaine. Um, this yep. is uh, the American version of The Office. So just thought I'd start off with something easy for everybody. Um, I don't think that there is a TV show that's influenced my lexicon, my behavior, and probably my sense of humor as much as the American Office. Uh, this is um, one that I'm sure many listeners have already watched. Uh, I can confirm that not only do I subscribe to Stan and can watch it on there, but I do own the entire DVD set at home and I've probably motored through the series about four to five times in full. Um, excluding seasons eight and nine, which I'll get to a little bit later, um, you know the cast. Steve Carell's Michael Scott, Rain Wilson's Dwight Stroot, Jim Halper and Pam Beasley are played by John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher, respectively. Their supporting casts from Creed to Stanley to Toby uh, all gel seamlessly to create um, one of the most universally adored comedy series of the 21st century. Um, it is adapted originally, I think, from the Ricky Gervais UK version, which is still hilarious, but I don't think it translates as well to American or Australian audiences because it's quite dry and it caught, you know, as is the case with a lot of British comedy, uh, but showrunners for this one, Greg Daniels and Michael Shura, deliver something, uh, deliver some of the greatest concepts, um, in my opinion, that I've ever seen in uh, any comedy. Uh, in my opinion, seasons two to six are the best comedy you'll find. Uh, the show helped popularise the "That's What She Said" joke, as well in, as well as many others. Um, I honestly don't lie when I say that it influences the way that I speak and I act. Still, I probably peaked with my office fandom when I was about fifteen, but. 
I cannot begin to tell you how many times that I've threatened to burn a building to the ground as Michael does when he threatens, if you harm a hair on Stanley's head, I'll burn Utica to the ground. I think are his exact words on that one. Um, so what I'm really trying to say is, although the slapstick humor is brilliant in some cases, is the dialogue, the chemistry and the characters uh, from the, which the show builds. And for the listeners out there who have already seen The Office, I'm planning to do a top five of Opus episodes in the future. Uh, but some of my personal favorites are when Michael burns his foot on the George Foreman grill, Michael yelling from the rooftops, Dwight, you ignorant s***. Um, Michael thinking that he's mixed up with a mob boss who's simply trying to sell him insurance. Um, yeah, I just, there's so many influences that it's had on my life. Uh, after Steve Carell and thus Michael Scott did leave the show in season seven, I personally didn't think it was too, um, too much worth watching. But feel free to check the later seasons out. Uh, Dwight Schrute, I cannot stress, is one of television's finest creations as well. The pranks between him and Jim in the cold opens are some of the greatest shots in my TV watching experience. The mockumentary setup is one of the show's biggest trump cards as well. And I'm sure I'm not the only one when a family member, you know, for example, my brother or sister pull some dumb shit at home uh, you can imagine a camera in the corner of the room and I just kind of stare satirically into it as Jim does countless times uh, the office is available on Stan if you've got it for a free trial or subscribed and it's perhaps the perfect series to binge and run out the hours of the day during the quarantine so Elaine I do have a question for you what mm-hmm. office character do you think you are? Okay, well, I've always said this, um, also not only because I find him the most funniest character, but also because he's a weirdo like myself, and that's none other than Dwight. <laughs> I think he's just so, so funny. Also, I'm exactly like him. Like, if anyone tries to pull a prank on me, I am just, like, disgustingly bad at responding to it. Like, I don't understand when someone's even throwing sarcasm at me. I will just 100% play into it, so I feel like that's why I relate to Dwight. What about you? Um... I actually had to think about this. You put it in the slack for the pod. And I I think that I am probably a cross between Michael and Oscar, weirdly enough. I feel I bring that same frenetic uh, energy as Michael does whilst procrastinating most Mm -hmm. hours of the day. Um, Also, Oscar, because... Okay, for for the listeners who haven't seen, they'll know what I'm talking about. Oscar is like kind of the bougie, refined, sophisticated uh, Mexican, uh, gay Mexican of the office. I am not gay, but I do stress that um, I would be a part of the Find Things Club. There's nothing better for me than sitting down and analysing a movie or a film and eating like cucumber finger sandwiches and drinking some like caramel tea, no sugar, no honey, don't need any of that, just sipping with my friends. Um, Yeah, so it would probably be Michael and Oscar. Those are the two that I'd pick. I'm kind of like an amalgamation of both. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so that's um, John's pick. I've got two picks actually well the first one doesn't really count because everyone knows it already and that is of course friends um which is not available on netflix but is available on stan as well so thank you so much john i've definitely banked in on the stan um (laughs) login uh yeah don't have to say much um if you haven't watched it seriously what are you doing If, if you have Rewatch it. I have it playing in the background, which is what I always tend to do. And you literally cannot go wrong with watching Friends. And this is just another um, question that I added in as well. What Friends character do you think that you are? Um, I've probably watched thirty or forty episodes of Friends in total. I kind of just didn't watch them chronologically. I've just watched them whenever they're on like free to air TV or something. I probably would say 
out of the boys, if I'm just just excluding the girls, just going to the boys, Chandler, Ross, and Joey, I'd probably have to pick Joey simply because he's an Italian, I'm Greek, I can relate to all his mm-hmm. food uh, adventures. Um, also, like, I just feel, as with Michael, he's got, like, a similar energy to me. He's always up and about. He always can't sit still, and um, that's probably why I'd pick Joey. Who, who would you be, do you think? Yeah, um, so for me, I personally think that I'm a bit of a Chandler because, yeah, he's sort of <laughs> he's sort of like the loser of the group, which is kind of oh, what I relate to. Don't say that, story. Elaine. You need to have some self-confidence sometimes. You can't just call no, yourself I love a loser it. out here on the pod. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> yeah, so okay, so that was what's my... Your uh, other, yeah, what's your other pick here? I, I see you've got actually another one here. I do, because Friends is such an obvious one. I had to choose one that's a little less um, popular, and that is Love, Death and Robots. So I think this was released last year on Netflix. Um, And yeah, I have actually no idea how to describe the show because it doesn't actually flow on from one to the other. Each episode is standalone. But what I I can say is that it is pure art. Um, There's 18 episodes, and I seriously wish that there were at least 100. So again, each episode... So it stands alone and they're actually um, made with different art styles. So I think different artists are responsible for each single episode and they also vary for in different lengths. So some are longer, some are only about six minutes long, I think is the shortest one. Most of them are animated and some aren't. Um, so I watched this series not knowing what to expect and ended up not leaving my seat until I had finished every single one of them. And that's why it's in this category for the best show to binge. Some of the common themes are love, death and robots. Haha, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, mostly set in some sort of dystopian future or alternate reality. Um, I'll put my personal favourites here. Um, and these are Suits and Good Hunting. Um, so if you guys want to watch any of any one of the 18, definitely watch these two, especially Suits, I think. Um, but the beauty about a collection of series like this one is that there is definitely something for everyone. So, yeah, just just dive in and enjoy yourself. And that's it for the first category. Now we'll move on to our next one, which is Best Doco Series. Um, John, did you want to start? Um, I will start with this one. I don't know if mine necessarily count as documentaries, nor do I really care, but I'm going to use this category to shout out my guy, um, the late Anthony Bourdain. So his uh, TV series, Nova Reservations, uh, Parts Unknown, and also The Layover. So I'm actually currently completing, I've just got a couple of chapters left of uh, Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential book, the first book that kind of uh, slingshotted him to the fame that he's all, uh, to the fame that he's realised and that he had throughout his career. Um, and the old game, I've played this with a couple of my friends, uh, is it's the, if you could sit down with three people for dinner, who would they be? And I think my first pick actually, when I get asked this question is always Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he would be the top of my list. So what no reservations and particularly parts unknown do better than all other food shows out there, all of which I do love as well, is it gets into the culture and the ethos of the people behind the food and how it actually shapes, you know, what they're making and the cuisine of the uh, of the region. And um, one of my favourite episodes, and I'll periodically, I'll periodically just look it up on YouTube and uh, just watch this, you know, it, watch this episode, is when Bourdain's in Quebec, so French Canada, and there's this one specific scene, it is ingrained in my memory. He's sitting in a wooden shack, the size of, like, my bathroom or even, like, my bedroom, and it's in the... It's, literally situated on the middle of a frozen lake and he's just sitting there with two other chefs 
He's eating foie gras. He's eating potato puree. puree. He's drinking like chartreuse French wine. He's eating a pois cheese. He's smoking cigars. And then finally they bring out this huge like archaic ancient French master of cuisine, like this cake. It's I think called the Gâteau Majolaine. It's like this huge chocolate and hazelnut and vanilla cake. It's just outrageous. And it's perhaps my like two favorite minutes of any television ever. It's just the best thing. I'm a big fan of my food, if you uh, didn't know that already. And if I could quit my uni degree right now and I could have the life that uh, Anthony Bourdain lived, like a freelance journalist, writer, and like a damn, damn good food connoisseur, um, I definitely, definitely, definitely would uh, drop everything and pursue that lifestyle. But um, yeah, uh, the rest of his catalog is equally as entertaining as well. Uh, you can find it on SBS Demand and the Food Channel as well. Um, if you are on Netflix and you're looking for something similar, uh, David Chang's Ugly Delicious uh, is another TV show that I just want to mention where each episode doesn't so much uh, fit itself around a city or a country's cuisine. Rather, it sits itself, uh, it situates itself around a certain dish. So, for example, I think they did a fried rice episode. There's a fried chicken episode on there. My personal favorites were the barbecue episode and the pizza episode in season one. And uh, although these shows might make you hungry, they're definitely, definitely worth the watch. So, Elaine, what's your favourite documentary series? My favourite documentary series is one that was released earlier this year and pretty much took social media by a storm, um, especially if you're a female. So this is Cheer. And like what like what the name is, um, this, this documentary series follows a cheerleading squad, which is the Navarro Cheerleading Squad, and they are a competitive college cheerleading team located in Corsicana, Texas, which is this tiny, tiny town that has put itself on the national and international stage because of its incredible cheerleading program that is run by um, coach Monica Aldama. So, yeah... I'm sure if, like lo- like lots of you, I didn't really know that much about cheerleading except for, you know, like bring it on the movie um, and you don't really realise how much these at- athletes put themselves under such, you know, huge physical and emotional strain just to create these beautiful and impressive routines and then they perform it for a couple minutes at a con- championships and that's pretty much it since outside of college there's really no place for competitive cheerleading. Um, so in, in this docuseries, they follow this cheer team in 2019 um, up to the Daytona Cheer Championships that are held in Miami, Florida. And it also follows specific members of the cheer team who mostly come from very difficult backgrounds. Um, but what's, what's amazing is that they have personalities of such angels and they support each other through, you know, through this cheer competition and through life in general. And I think by the end of the show, all we want to do is give Morgan a huge hug let jerry matt talk us to perform the absolute best we can gossip with ladarius and practice baskets with gabby as well as party with lexi so yeah definitely a really really fun watch and also not that involved as well i think there's only six episodes so have a look at that one yeah okay. look, i mean we have we have agreements we have disagreements sometimes um I'm probably not going. I'm, I'm not probably going to watch Cheer. I'm just going to be realistic with you. Um, I'm glad right. you enjoy it. I'm probably I'm glad you enjoy it's it. Okay, I'm probably. I, <laughs> I, I probably a lot of our listeners enjoy it also. But yeah. um, how dare you, Elaine? <laughs> Anthony Bourdain. That's like top television. That that's that stuff hey, is like pure. There's gold. something for everyone. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We're going to agree to disagree on this one, but um, yeah, check yeah. Cheer out. 
I'll say that on Elaine's behalf. Check uh, No Reservations, Parts Unknown out. Um, check them all out. Mm-hmm. They're really good. Even though mine weren't even really documentaries, just still check them out. They're pretty, pretty brilliant. <laughs> so uh, what's the next category, uh, Elaine? The next category is the best period piece. And John, take it away. Okay, so I'm just going to preface this by saying uh, some of my friends say that I am like a 65-year-old trapped in a 22-year-old's body, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think this recommendation will reflect that. I have no shame in saying that my best period piece recommendation is The Crown, which is on Netflix. Um, To say that I have a crush on protagonist, the actor, uh, the actress rather, Claire Foy's uh, Queen Elizabeth II is an understatement. Uh, Another disclaimer as well, I'm not a monarchist in any sense of the world. I don't actually really care about the current royals either, about, uh, you know, Princess Meghan and Harry. I don't actually really care. But there's something about like 1940s and 1950s England and the aesthetic that it brings that just, I don't really know what it was. It just completely enthralled me. The recommendation from all people was from my mum. And if you give me Claire Foy, Jared Harris, Vanessa Kirby and John Lithgow and just let them cook and just let them do their (laughs) thing and then just let them portray who they need to portray, I will watch it. And I will happily just sit there for 10 hours and watch every second of it. So... The Crown is set in post, uh, it's post-World War II period and I mean you can't really spoil history but it covers everything in the royal family uh, from 1947 to 1955. It's got the passing of Jared uh, King George, it's got Vanessa Kirby's Princess Margaret and the engagement to her love interest Peter Townsend and it's also, and what my part of the series is, the, it encompasses and explores the waning political career of Winston Churchill. Um, so John Lithgow's performance is one of the best I've seen in quite some time in TV or film and he plays the lumbering cigar puffing whiskey drinking prime minister um, so perfectly he captures the cadence and the voice of Winston Churchill perfectly and you can honestly tell it's a man who believes in himself yet his health and the trust of the people around him in his political sphere just it's just all starting to crumble on top of him uh, as I've mentioned I do have a crush on Claire Foy I don't really know why but her turn as Queen Elizabeth II in this series, particularly season one, uh, assuming the mantle of uh, the uh, monarch, uh, is she plays it with such composure and such grace. And although you can tell that her youth, and it's it's all about talking about how young Queen Elizabeth II was when she assumed the role of the queen, uh, but I also usually don't get into this sort of stuff, but good Lord, the costume design, Elaine, holy... <laughs> Holy shit, it is so spot on. The set design likewise, it just captures the wealth and the refinement of the royal so well. It's almost as if you were watching a documentary in some parts. So it's a brilliant period piece by Peter Morgan. And Peter Morgan, the showrunner, it's not as if he doesn't have any experience in this sort of work. He did Helen Mirren's The Queen as well. I recommend you go check that film out. It's brilliant. So this is more or less like a spiritual prequel, I say. Um, so he's just, you know, he's, kind of, he's taken his Queen uh, film and it's kind of backcasted almost to the 1940s and 50s. I'm currently motoring through season two as well, but the uh, first season is fantastic. Check it out. Uh, Highly recommend. Elaine, what's your pick? My pick is, um, okay, sorry if you guys start tuning out for this bit, but I'm going to throw in a couple (laughs) foreign TV shows here because if you say the word period, I almost immediately jump to (laughs) Imperial China. Um, I've never heard of these, and I'm so keen to hear you talk about them. I don't don't know what the heck these are, but I'm, I'm keen. 
Hit yeah. us, Elaine, hit us. <laughs> so it is a Chinese TV show. So the English name is Nirvana in Fire and the Chinese name is Lang Yabang. I'm sorry oh, if boy. my Chinese is not perfect. I love well. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so obviously it's going to be very hard to pitch a literally 54-episode TV show with, on average, 50 minutes per episode. But trust me, you will get absolutely hooked. Um, so there is so much political intrigue. There's romance. Um, I don't know how the author of the book, this series, was based on managed to be so clever with tying everything together. Um, to summarise, the story follows Lin Shu, who is an exiled son of a prominent military family and army who was betrayed by the emperor and his entire army and the family was massacred for fear of holding too much power um so believed to be dead lin shu goes undercover to infiltrate the imperial imperial palace and he becomes a strategist for prince yu who is actually second in line to the throne after the crown prince himself and he wants to become emperor so he enlists the help of uh lin shu who is undercover um, however, this yeah, as as is a lot of these types of dramas, there is a twist. Um, he's only supporting the um, Prince Yu, who's second in line, uh, only to as a guise because he secretly supports Prince Jing, whom I also have the hugest crush on. Just just saying, just Wang Kai is just an awesome awesome actor. <laughs> anyway, so he's the third in line to the throne, and he was also best friends um, with Lin Shu before he was his family was massacred, and he doesn't actually know that, and he believes his friend to be dead and this is obviously a grossly oversimplified summary of the plot and all that occurs but all you need to know is that there is a revenge plot to overthrow an emperor and it's bloody fantastic um i must also mention that the female characters in this tv show are all gracefully and elegantly played by the actresses um they show such strength and manipulation so on the same sort of note as the crown and um i guess the monarchy it's on a similar sort of note as that um, and yeah, they just, I don't know, if you guys are willing to try something different, give it a shot. That's all I can say. All so right. Let, let me get this straight. Just staying on Nirvana and Fire, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a cross between The Crown, yep. Game of Thrones, yeah. if it was all set good in China. Comparison. Yep. Is, is that, <laughs> That's good I, comparison. Yeah. Am, am I right in saying that? Yeah, I was trying to think of the best way that I could simplify it. You gave a grossly simplified version of the plot, which I... I kind of got a little bit lost in the source. I'm not going to lie, but yeah. it's got a lot of. Sounds like it's got a lot of revenge in there. Uh, the monarch's still strong. It's got a bit of Game of Thrones vibes to it, but um, I might actually watch that one. If you, if you, I don't know where I can watch it, but um, oh, it's actually it's available actually, on YouTube. It's available on YouTube. Okay, I might Probably check because it out. It, if, yeah, it can't be taken down. But anyway, I, <laughs> it's available I must say on YouTube. That, I have been experimenting with what I've been watching with regards to movies lately. I've been watching a lot of Studio Ghibli numbers, so I might give this one a whirl. Yes. And uh, see if I enjoy it. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Okay, so I guess we'll move on to our next category now. We have best drama, in our opinion. Um, Once again, John, what have you got? Um, Mine is one that came out last year. It's a five-part miniseries, and its name is Chernobyl. So... Craig Mazin is the showrunner for this one. It stars Jared Harris again, my guy, uh, Emma Thomas, Stellan Starsgard, and something fascinating, i just quickly uh, segue here, about the parallels that it has to what we're experiencing with COVID-19, the pandemic now. It's mm-hmm. like 
there's it's having the cause of a disaster and also trying to limit the damage that it causes and this mini series is brilliant in showing very briefly at the start of the first episode the actual disaster it only lasted for a, a couple of seconds the actual nuclear meltdown of the uh, number 4 Chernobyl reactor core but the, you know, the 4.9 episodes that follow really go into how they tried to, and in large cases, how they failed to mitigate against the uh, danger and the disaster of the people in the surrounding towns. Um, given the name of the show, obviously you can guess it's about the 1986 nuclear meltdown. Um, it explores the heroism uh, of a professor called Legazov, and he's played by Jared Harris, and it also simplifies what actually happened at Chernobyl. So it gives... Obviously, Chernobyl, it's about the nuclear meltdown. It's about some quite complex scientific theories. But um, the most profound example for, of dumbing down the quantum physics involved was Legazo's character compares the radioactive atoms to bullets and enables you, it enables the audience to kind of grasp the scope of how be, how serious and how dangerous this nuclear meltdown was for the people in the surrounding areas. And also the grotesque, in some sense, quite, you know, graphic details uh, the show goes into to show these effects on the uh, Russian residents in that area. Um, it enables the audience brilliantly to, as I said, tangibilize what's going on. So if you're wanting a happy go Larry TV series, this one's not for you. Um, the cinematography I really do want to touch on, it's just this singular color palette. It's just this washed gray from the smoke of the collapsed reactor to the costume design to the stage design. It's a riveting, realistic take. It only, it only, you know, it only requires four and a half, five hours of your viewing time. And even the individual stories that are explored of some of the people in Pripyat, which was like the surrounding town uh, around the Chernobyl reactor, and the ex exploration of fictional and non-fictional character, uh, characters adds to just the realism of um, the TV show. That being said, there is a bit of an uncanny valley of the British actors speaking in British accents in English, portraying Russian figures. That's all a bit weird to watch <laughs> at first, but after half an hour, the acting and the story is so enthralling, you forget about um, halfway through the first episode. So probably my favourite TV series of the past couple of years. Please check it out. Elaine, what's yours? Yes, so I've chucked on another Netflix original series on here and is The End of the Effing World. Um, so, yeah, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, I'm not going to watch this. It's just another, you know, teenage drama. But actually, finally, what I thought is it's a very realistic teenage drama with awkwardness that is, I'm going to use that word, relatable F. Maybe only because oh I feel like I relate more to these teenagers because they aren't, you know, your classic, like, popular, you know, part of the it crowd and, you know, very cliquey. Um, I don't really relate to that, so I related to these characters a hell of a lot more. Um, so this story is based on a comic by Charles Forsman and it follows two teenagers in the UK, James and Alyssa, and I'll just say that the accents are amazing, especially, especially um, when they swear. It's just so addictive to say. I probably shouldn't be advocating that, but it's just a very enjoyable um, thing to watch. So James is played by Alex Lawther and he is a traumatised teen um, after he witnessed something tragic as a child and he believes that he is a psychopath so he spends his time contemplating who will be his first victim for murder and he sets his eyes on Alyssa who is the new girl at school. Um, Alyssa is played by the extraordinary Jessica Barden 
And is there no Fs given? Absolute sassy queen of a girl who has some of the best one-liners that I have ever heard. Um, it's brilliantly orchestrated with narration by both characters and has also got the best soundtrack you ever did see, I should say, here. Um, I literally Google the soundtrack to listen to because it's that brilliant. Um, it's full of older tunes from the 50s and 60s or of that style. And seriously, if you don't even watch the TV show, just listen to Zuzu by the Bonnevilles and Have You Ever Loved Someone by the Vocaliers. I just die every time I hear it and um, with this tv show you will be laughing you will be crying and you will definitely build such an attachment to the two characters um, again it's currently on Netflix along with the uh, second and final season which was released also fairly recently and I personally thought that it was quite a worthy worthy sequel to the first um, it's not a long series so you could definitely binge this over one weekend and trust me you will want to watch the whole thing in one sitting because there are a couple cliffhangers that will leave you wanting more all right so on to nice. our last category which is um our personal favorites now i've chosen two because john chose one and he literally i'm just gonna let him talk for about i don't know how long it's gonna go for so i had to chuck in two in order to make you up go for first it. you go first i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna chew on mine for a little while you, uh, you go first what's your what's your first personal favorite len my first personal favorite is maniac again a Netflix special released in late 2018 and when I saw the trailer I was so so excited and when it dropped I basically just dropped everything else on my own and just had to watch it. Um, it is one of if not the most beautifully told stories both because it is visually stunning and also because it's so human. So it's set in this weird parallel universe where it's sort of um, 80s themed like kind of retro it stars Emma Stone and Jonah Hill, uh, and this TV series follows these two strangers who become involved in a pharmaceutical trial of a psychedelic drug and how their stories intertwine. Um, it is heartbreaking, it is very weird, and it touches on important mental health issues including borderline personality disorder and schizophrenia. Um, the characters don't ask to be liked, in fact... Um, yeah, they make it quite hard to like them at times, um, but I feel like that's what makes it all the more, uh, again, relatable. And nonetheless, you are so gripped by their personal struggles, um, also their struggles with their mental health. And at the end of the day, you only want the best of them once you understand their sort of backstory and why they are the way that they are. Um, yeah, it's been a while since I've watched it, so... I'm probably going to rewatch it during this time because it's that good. And for me, that's actually saying something because I, yeah, I usually don't rewatch things because I just prefer to watch something new. And I always think that, well, preach, sister, if, preach. Yeah. If it's that good, well, there's something, there's something else out there that will also be very good, including foreign films and foreign TV shows. So, yeah, but I definitely want to rewatch this one because it's been a while and it, I just remember just absolutely loving it when I watched it. So, to summarize, um, I read this comment on the trailer for the TV show when I was revisiting it for this pod and it's someone said that it was when Inception and Black Mirror decides to make a baby which is what it is really alright that's it for Maniac um, John what is your favourite okay so we've got my personal favourite TV series of all time but 
before I actually get into the TV series itself, it's important to go into the film upon which it's kind of based. So the film that I'm referring to is Fargo, which is written and directed by the Coen brothers, uh, who also did another one of my personal favourite films, No Country for Old Men. And this film is, it was the 1996 Best Picture winner, and it's a black comedy thriller which is set in Brainerd, Minnesota. So funnily enough, even though the TV series and film series, are, you know, they're actually called Fargo, not much of the series or film takes place in Fargo, North Dakota. So the film follows a pregnant police chief chasing down a desperate car salesman who hired two goons to kidnap his wife, all of which spirals out of control. Um, I do love my cinema and Roger Deakins was a cinematographer on this film. It's absolutely incredible, uh, his shots of Minnesota, the la uh, land of a thousand lakes, and he captures the desolate winterscape uh, with absolute mastery, like the glaring whites of the snow uh, almost consume you. Sorry, that's a, we're getting a bit film geeky, I'm sorry, Lane. But um, <laughs> right. what the film does is that the character, it fleshes out the characters completely and it's perhaps the best female protagonist you'll see in every, any film, like a self-confident, skilled uh, Marge Gunderson, her name is. She's played by Frances McDormand and she's tasked with rounding up all the clues uh, of the crime. I actually did last year a um, with one of my English students for tutoring a um, English essay uh, on her character and Fargo as well and it, she, it's just one of the best female protagonists you'll see in any medium. Uh, you've got some other characters as well in the film like William Macy plays the best meek and, and timid and unhinged characters uh, for going from this and also Boogie Nights, he plays this weedy kind of car salesman that plays it perfectly. Now, that's the movie. So I'm, I'm done on the movie. I'm sorry, Lane. We kind of went a bit off topic there. But what <laughs> happened with this film was 20 years later... Um, Noah Hawley, you might know him from, um, he was uh, helped show run uh, Bones, which was like the forensic drama uh, a couple of oh, years yeah. ago. Um, so he, what he decided to do was kind of continue the Fargo uh, universe with his TV series, also named Fargo. So the Coen brothers are also executive producers on the series. And just to be clear, contrary to the title card, which says uh, based on a true story, which I had to explain to Lane, these are not true stories. These are all <laughs> fictional stories written um, by the showrunners. So it's set in the same universe as the film. So any events that happened in the film uh, are said to have happened in the um TV series and the TV series season one I think occurs in the 2010s season two go back goes back to the 1970s and season three I believe is uh, goes even further back I think it's set in 2008 or nine and I think season four is going way way back to the 1950s so it's an anthology TV series and uh, each episode is named after like a, a philosophical dilemma or a puzzle and that said puzzle is kind of interwoven into the fabric of each subplot and the TV series really leans into the aesthetic established by Deacons in the uh, Fargo film and it also leans, I don't know if you've seen the line, like a real twin Peaksian tone shifts that are really, really present. It's really strange, really bizarre subject matters uh, what they explore in the TV series. It's aiming to, you know, really disorient you at times and it really, really gets you to think. So 
there's something in the TV series you can't really place. Like the the, cha- the characters are not only challenged with solving the crimes at hand. Similarly to the film, the TV series, the t- each TV season follows usually a police officer chasing criminals in the cold American Midwest. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but the protagonists are also challenged with like s- philosophical and existential questions as well. It's really quite a uh, really quite you know gripping. Uh, the casting director deserves a medal. It's got Martin Freeman, Kirsten Dunst, Ewan McGregor. They star respect in seasons one, two, and three. Even the supporting cast, you've got Nick Offerman from a Ron Swanson Parks and Rec fame. Um, you've also got, I think, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul, and they all affect this, like, Minnesota accent, which is like a cross-hybrid of Scandinavia meets American accents. Like, think almost even Swedish chef. Like, okay, then. Like, they love doing <laughs> this really, really bizarre accent, and I, I, I love it. It's so, so good. Um... The best performance by far in the entire series is Billy Bob Thornton as a season one villain, Lord Marvel. Now, there's like Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight, Anthony Hopkins's Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, and Bardem's like Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. They're my pantheon villains. He would be the fourth. Lord Marvel, Billy Bob Thornton's villain, is unhinged. He is damn right evil in every sense of the word. His mind games with the character in the first season and the tricks and schemes that he gets up to throughout the season, it's some of the best villainy that I've ever seen in any TV or film. I'm not a binge watcher by by my very nature, but I have to say I remember it, I think it was first year uni, and I watched the first season in two days. So I regret nothing staying up to 5 a.m. to finish the first season. Um, Brilliant. It's enthralling television at its finest, and it's certainly a series that will make you think about for a very, very, very long time. Elaine, what's your second pick? Yes, I don't know how I'm going to follow that, you know, very detailed review with literally an anime but anyway i'm gonna bring it up it's attack on titan all i can say is i think it's the best anime of all time literally fight me if you disagree um it's set in a dystopian future where not everybody's gonna fight you elaine (laughs) nobody can fight you sorry go ahead it's a contentious subject anyway so it's set in a dystopian future where humanity has been reduced to living in three concentric walls to protect themselves um so there's the capital in the middle which houses the royal family and then you've got three walls um out of that um so what they're trying to protect themselves from is from these huge baby-like human eating monsters called titans uh sounds weird but seriously this series series absolutely blew my world apart so the first episode will be some completely whack stuff if you aren't familiar with anime gore and even that it's a whole nother level of insanity especially even when i first watched it so it starts in a city that is located on the third most outdoor wall um when all of a sudden a huge colossal titan kicks down the front gate and effectively lets loose all the titans into this peaceful community which had remained safe for a hundred years so the main character Eren, i think he's 10 years old in the first episode he loses his mother in the carnage and humanity has to retreat back to the second wall effectively losing a third of their land for agriculture um and yeah losing their homes as well 
So to avenge his mother and protect humanity, Eren decides to join the Survey Corps, which are essentially the frontline fighters that directly fight the Titans to try and reclaim land and also figure out where exactly these Titans came from and how they ended up in these three walls. So they fight with these mechanic, like mechanical wiring, shooty things is the only way I can describe it, with sharp swords. And, and this actually makes up for some of the most incredible action sequences. And this is actually only just in the beginning few episodes and then it gets even more wild the more you get into it. I think we're up to season three at the moment. Um, it also has a killer intro song and sequence in the first season and seriously on request I will actually play it out and start jamming out. There's this bit in German in the beginning that I just dedicated myself to learning because it was that good. I was also like I don't know 13 when this came out but yeah amazing stuff. So goodness. <laughs> that's it for um TV show, but we actually got this extra part at the end. Um, what is this, John? So I might make this a recurring segment of uh, the podcast in the coming episodes. Uh, it's my quarantine stories. So it's a thread that I've got currently, and it's just, I think we're on day five or six now, I'm not quite sure, of just a lot mm-hmm. of home time, a lot of family time, and um, yeah, just thought I'd share some of my stories. So for most of you following my current uh, social media uh, activity, which I, I usually I don't, it's, it's very rare for me to post, but I have been posting quite a lot lately. Uh, my brother recently got back from the US. So he's, uh, since he came from overseas, he's got to do his two weeks of uh, self-isolation, quarantine, if you will. Now, the good thing is he's not actually doing it at our house, but he's doing it at my grandmother's flat, so, which is about 10 minutes from us. So it's an empty flat. He's just there by himself. Now, ever since he moved away, uh, he moved away one and a half years ago, uh, actually, yeah, was it longer than that? No, probably about a year, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever he moved away about a year ago and he returns home to Adelaide, he's treated like an absolute king by my uh, family. Now, a brief descriptor <laughs> of my brother, um, if you can kind of imagine, he's like a smarter, uh, more reserved, hairier and more chonk version <laughs> of me, um, which means that he definitely has an appetite. So before he arrived, we were stocking up uh, his unit that he was going to be doing his two weeks in, Uh, with like scotch fingers, his favorite kettle chili chips, all of his favorite snack foods. But what he really wanted the most was my mum's cooking and uh, specifically also our charcoal cooking that me and dad did at the back. So after his pretty turbulent travels as well, he got on the news for uh, his uh, extended layover on Sydney Airport, which you can read on 7 News. I think they published an article on it, which was quite funny. He came back with a pretty large appetite. So since he can't actually leave the house, we have to, it's like a, you know, we have to bring food to him. So it's as if he's like a king where you just kind of, he's sitting on a throne, literally he's sitting on a throne. We can talk to him from three meters away. We drop the food on the floor. He grabs the food, puts it on his table and he eats. So in the span of 24 hours going from Sunday midday to the Monday midday, uh, he ate the following. So for Sunday lunch, we bought him a huge jambalina and chunky beef pie from the St. Peter's Bakehouse for lunch. That was around one o'clock. Now for Sunday dinner, this is the most outrageous one. He could not wait for home cooked meals. <laughs> this, so this is, yeah, this is outrageous. I posted it on my Instagram thread, but he ate the following. Two entire Scotch fillet steaks, one entire four-quarter lamb chop, pork and fennel sausage, all off the charcoal grill, and full servings of mum's potato salad, halloumi and quinoa salad, broccoli and almond salad. 
And then the next day, as if he couldn't get enough, he sent me on a quest because obviously not only has he not eaten my mum's cooking for a while, he hasn't eaten a lot of, you know, Adelaide uh, cafe, you know, all the food, sto- uh, food, food spots that he likes in Adelaide. So he sent me to the Adelaide CBD to Nano's and Ebenezer Place uh, just off the east end of Rundle Street. Now, he fer- I ferried back for him an egg and pancetta focaccia, half a salami focaccia, an Italian sfogliatelli pastry, and a Nano's special iced coffee, which is pretty much his favorite drink in the world. That, that, that iced coffee, by the way, is just two shots of coffee, two scoops of full ice cream, full cream, vanilla ice cream, and a top with milk. And then after that, he got on the phone with his tutoring student, and he asked him, like the ch- former tutoring student Hugo, shout outs to my guy. He asked Hugo to ferry him a charcoal Yanis Euros an hour later. <laughs> now, thankfully, Yanis Euros were closed. I'm actually starting to worry about um, my brother's weight gain. Uh, but without a question, <laughs> when the chips are down and you need someone to eat an outrageous amount of food, my brother is your guy. So I also that would is, be remiss. That is ridiculous. If I didn't include my sister in this now, so I can't leave my sister's self-isolating eating habits out as well because Lee is a real play the hits operator. Like she knows what she wants and she will get what she wants. And what she's currently got a craving for in the house is Baker's Delight chocolate hot cross buns. So much so that dad asked her last week now this is before the quarantine and Leah was kind of worried if the uh, hot cross buns would run out of stock (laughs) so dad asked Leah do you want anything from the shops and Leah replied with and this is pretty much verbatim bring six packs of six chocolate hot cross buns six six packs of six (laughs) chocolate hot cross buns home please and my dad was like what and then my sister's just like just bring them home as many as you can so We've now had to put an emergency bag of these chocolate hot cross buns in the freezer to stop her from motoring through every single packet we bring home. And now I asked her what her record number in a day was. She replied to me that, like, with a pretty conservative number, she said four. Now, I'm going to take her word for eating four in a day. That's her maximum. But she, I think the other day, did three hot cross buns in the span of 24 minutes. So read into that as you may, but those are my two quarantine stories in the last six days. So just one thing I also want to add to the end of this pod, we are also going to open a mailbag section. Thank you so much for the support, by the way, guys. You really are heartwarming, and it's good to see that um, people want to listen to my stupid voice as well as Elaine's beautiful radio voice. Um, DM... Stop it, stop it, Elaine. Um, so DM or email us um, using the addresses attached in the bio for this podcast. And if you've got any questions that you want us to cover, uh, what do you want to hear our opinions on? And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, let us know. So we've been getting a lot of support and I've been getting a lot of DMs from all of my mates uh, asking us to cover separate things. So yeah, here's your chance to just have your voice uh, heard. And uh, yeah, I'll let Elaine wrap up. Yeah, so, yeah, following up from John, thank you up, thank you guys so much for listening to the pod. We're honestly just happy to have, like, a couple, and it's a sh- it's quite, you know, shocking to see that we've got a bit more than that. Um, yeah, so send us those um, questions, send us any opinions, send us any reviews if you end up watching anything that we've described today. Um, coming up on the pod, we want to cover um, a couple topics. So soon after this one, we'll release one with... Bree Zicardo, who we mentioned uh, two pods back. So look out for that one. And also we do want to talk a bit about our favourite hospitality spots. Um, Obviously in this time there are a lot of industries that are struggling and are being um, 
I wouldn't say forced, but essentially we have to close in order for the, the to keep the public safe. Um, so a lot of those restaurants and cafes are still offering takeaways. So we want to give our take on a couple of our favourite spots um, on, a, on another pod. And I'd also like to say that this this podcast is proudly sponsored by Wright Evan Partners. Um, so they are financial advisors and do offer some really important financial advice to newly graduates at the School of Dentistry Adelaide. And also to Guild Insurance, who um, was also supporting some of our other events, but unfortunately, due to the current situation, that could not be possible. So thank you so much to uh, our sponsors. And yeah, last of all, thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you, guys. Stay gold. I'll see you next Peace. time. Peace. Ciao, ciao. Bye.